A lot of songs about freedom, and I, I love that because we are free in Christ. But I think it's important we understand what freedom in Christ is really all about because, um, you know, the world has a view of freedom that is really, quite frankly, is very hedonistic. You know, free to do and be whatever I want and however I want to do life. And, but the freedom that we talk about as Christians is a freedom that has set us free. We sung about it this morning, that has set us free from the, the power of sin. But not only the power of sin, but also, also, the pres- also one day it will set us free from the presence of sin. Isn't that right? And, but, and, and also set us free right now from the consequences of sin. That, that's, what, that's what freedom is about, being free from the power of sin to control us and to, and to navigate our lives by. You know? and, and, and if you're really honest, if we're really honest with ourselves, that's, that's what navigated us, wasn't it? You know, the, 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 the Bible talks about the desires of the heart. And, and apart from Christ, they're nothing but selfish, greedy, not very pretty. And that's what, that's, what, that's what our navigator was back then. But we've been set free from the power of sin to control our lives. We no longer have to be slaves to it. But now we're slaves unto righteousness, the Bible tells us. Because Steve's prayed it, didn't he? Want to want to serve God? Want to follow God? Want to be a child of God? Amen. You know, and that's what a slave to righteousness is. I just want to please my heavenly Father. I just want to be about the kingdom's business. I want to be a Christian. I want to be a follower of Christ. You know, and so we're, we're freed from that, and we're and we're freed obviously from um, from uh, a destiny. That is apart from Christ to know a destiny with Christ. And so, so freedom is what we're all about. But I, I'm just sort of rambling a little bit now because what freedom does and, and a real understanding of freedom, what it really does is it brings rest. That's what you and I want. I mean, you could probably just, just sort of tilt your head sideways right now and just go, oh, yeah, right? And just go to sleep. I know I could do that right now. We just want rest. We just want to be able to lay down and be at peace. And, uh, but that's what God promises us. That's what this freedom brings us. It brings a, a, a rest to our souls. That's the important thing. It's crazy out there right now, isn't it? It really is crazy. I mean, um, I've, we, we went up to Perth and back yesterday. And that, that's stupid. I don't know why people do that. But I, but I did that. And... Um, just had to go and pick some things up and just moving through the city and through some shops and, and it, was just, it was just madness. It was just madness. It really was. And uh, grateful to get back on the highway and get back to Albany, but then I find out and get home and my house is empty because my, my family's rushed off down to the, to the um, God bless them, down to the Christmas parade and, you know, and it's just rush, 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 isn't it? Christmas really is, is not about rush. Christmas is about rest. It's about the rest that God brings to our souls. The Saviour, the Saviour has come. And the Saviour has made a way for us to come back into a relationship with God. And now you and I as Christians, washed in the blood of God, no longer slaves to unrighteousness, but now slaves to righteousness, Knowing that God loves us and accepts us, we can rest our hearts, can't we? We really can be at peace. Will you turn to Hebrews chapter 4 with me in your Bibles this morning? So good morning to you all. I don't know if I said that. 
Um, good morning to the other half of the congregation that is out in the cafe. Good morning, guys. And good morning to the congregation that's online. Good morning, guys. Um, we're spreading far and wide. Um, um, and that's a good thing. Are you there in Hebrews? It's the Old Testament book in the New Testament. Um, because the fourth chapter of Hebrews, okay, the subject this morning is rest, but the fourth chapter of Hebrews opens up with a warning that is built upon the refusal of, of Old Testament Israel to enter into God's promised land or promised rest. Why? Because of their unbelief. And the writer of Hebrews is going to hold this up as a warning for you and I. And that's how the third chapter closes. So we know the story, don't we? Because we're all good Bible students. We know the stories. When God gave his commandments and his promises to the nation Israel, it was given following the greatest display of supernatural power that mankind has experienced, has been witnessed to. The Hebrew people, you know the story, were miraculously preserved as the plagues fell upon Egypt. right? And they were again miraculously delivered when they found themselves cornered at the Red Sea. And, this, and the ocean parts before them. And they miraculously de delivered. Incredible. They were provided by the hand of God over and over and over again. And when they arrived at Sinai... The mountain of God, when they arrived at Sinai, they heard the very voice of God. They heard the audible voice of God and witnessed the awe-inspiring manifestation of the presence of God descending, His presence descending upon the top of the mountain. It, it shook and it quaked and it was just this awe-inspiring moment that Cecil B. DeMille had no chance of reproducing in the movies, right? None whatsoever. If you understand what I just said... You're old like me. <laughs> never before, never before, nor since have men experienced the reality of God's hand to powerfully deliver them. And not surprisingly, when God gave his law, along with his promise to give them Canaan, the promised land, not surprisingly, with one single heart of devotion, the children of Israel, two million of them plus, cried out and said, yes, we will follow this God. We will follow this God all the way. And as you follow with them throughout their history... As they made their way towards Canaan, towards the promised land, you see that God was faithfully, faithfully meeting their needs every step of the way. And then the day finally came when they stood on the eastern shores of the Jordan River at a place called Kadesh Barnea. You can read about it in Numbers chapter 13 if you want to go back and read the story. And from there, they looked across the Jordan River towards the promised land. What a moment that was in their history. Can you imagine it? On the other side of that river, everything that God had promised them from the time of Abraham, all through that time, and their, 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 um, their, their um, bondage in Egypt and through the time wandering after they left Egypt, after all their experiences, here it is. This is what our fathers have talked about. This is what our fathers told us about when we were children. This is the promise. It's just on the other side of that river. It's on the other side of that river. What a moment that must have been. 
Got to try and put yourself there. And we're here. The promise is before us. And so God instructs them to send 12 across the river to go and scout out the land. And 40 days later, they came back and they reported exactly what they saw. And they said, it's just like God said it would be. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It is so rich. It is everything God said it would be. But then 10 out of the 12 added to that and said, as wonderful as it is, the people in that land, they're like giants to us, you know. They're mighty people in that land. And we are like grasshoppers in their sight. We're going to be squashed like bugs before them if we cross this river, if we go over there. And we know the story, don't we? We know the story. There was two others. There was two others. Who were they? Thank you. Thank you. We do know the story. You know how, 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 how good that makes me feel? <laughs> oh, that is wonderful. Uh, Joshua and Caleb, they said, no. No, they are like bread to us. They are like bread to us. Why? Because God is with us. How do they know that God is with us? Because God's always been with us. He's always been with us, you know. The testimony of their nation said that God was with them. But the multitude of people, again, we know the story. The Bible tells us they took up stones because they wanted to silence this voice of faith. They wanted to silence this voice. They wanted to trust in the promises of God. What happened? Everything was full steam ahead up until that point, wasn't it? You know what happened so quickly, and it happened so very, very quickly. Here we are, two million plus on the shore of the Jordan River. The promised land is on the other side. We're going to enter in. Ten people come back after spending 40 days in that land, and they say, no, it's way too scary. We can't go over there. What happened? Fear. Unbelief spread through that nation like a virus, you know, through the entire nation so quickly, so quickly, you know. And that's what the third chapter is referring to when it's quoting from Psalm, Psalm, oh, I don't know it, do I? Psalm 90, I think it is, you know. But what happens is, from that point, the next 40 years saw the eradication of that virus as that entire generation perished with the exception of a few chosen ones. That entire generation perished in the wilderness and the virus was removed and it was a generation, here's the amazing thing, it was a generation that never saw the plagues, it was a generation that never saw the Red Sea parted. It was a generation that never saw Moses strike the rock and the water come rushing out. It was a generation that never saw the manna falling. It was a generation that never, never, never saw any of that that entered in to the land, the land of promise. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying here is, look, we have this example from history of God's people where they have allowed unbelief to rob them of the blessed hope of the great rest. That's what it's about. 
of the great rest that God has promised to all of his people. Now, the book of Hebrews, it's been a while since we've been in the book of Hebrews, but the book of Hebrews was written to a people that were wavering in their faith. Keep that, that backstory in your mind, if you will. But the book of Hebrews was written to a group of people, believers, that were wavering in their faith. And some of them were thinking about walking away from faith in Christ because, simply because it's too hard. You know, there's so much opposition against them, and there was. It wasn't easy to be a Christian back then. It was too hard, there was so much opposition, and there were so many voices that were coming along and saying, you can't really be serious about this Jesus, you know. So again, the writer, drawing from history, is saying this. This is what he says to you and I today. doesn't matter how much pressure is applied. It doesn't matter if everyone out there is saying that this Jesus thing is just a crutch. Well, it is. It's the greatest crutch ever. It'll never fail you. It'll never break. It'll never let you down. Yeah, it's a crutch, all right, and I need it in my life. But that's not what they're saying when they say that. They're saying this Jesus thing is just, well. But the writer is saying it doesn't matter what people will say. He's saying you need to remember that we have seen this before. You need to remember we have seen this before, but back then in the Old Testament... The Bible uh, carries a number of 600,000. It was talking about the men that would go to war, but it's the rest of the nation as well. People, we've seen it before, when this great multitude of people were saying they simply can't trust God. But two said we can, right? Two said we can. This is important for us to recognize. Forget about the 600,000 plus who were saying, no, we can't. Listen to the voice of faith and trust. The two that say, oh, yes, we can. Oh, yes, we can trust. You see, it sometimes feels like it, doesn't it? That everybody around us is pressurizing us. Sometimes it feels like that, that everybody is challenging us to draw us away from the life of faith and trust in our God. That's just a reality every single day, isn't it, Christian? So the challenge is not here. Here's the challenge. Not to let unbelief to creep into your hearts, right? Why? Because it leads us to disobedience. And disobedience will keep us from knowing the rest that God has for our souls. So that's the background. Look what it says in verse 1. Let us therefore fear lest a promise... Uh, it's all right. I, I, need a, I need a Bible like that. I can actually read. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering in his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it it says this is just one of those incredible verses it really is god is saying here i have a rest for you and i don't want you to lose it i don't want you to lose it and and, and that understanding of god is so very foreign to so many believers you know that 
It really is. See, I could say to some Christians today, all God wants for your life is for you to be at rest with him. I could say that to some believers. I could say to some believers today, I, could say, I can say it because I know it's true, but there are some believers that I could say it to where all God really wants to do in your life is to bless you. And you know what? I could say things like that. You know what they could come back to me with? Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that, you see, because they so often look at the life they have and the challenges that their life is facing and some find them saying, well, if God really loved me and if God really wants only to bless me, then why? Why is this happening in my life? Oh, Lord, if you were pleased with me like this Christian tells me, because I'm here to tell you this morning, God is pleased with you, Christian. He really is. If God is pleased with me, then I would not be experiencing these things. And because of life and the experience of life, we question the idea that we can rest in him. That's what happens. It's a subtle thing. And what we've done without even realizing it is that we have begun to approach God based upon performances, our own performances. And again, it is so subtle in the way that it creeps into a believer's heart. We simply start interpreting our daily experiences as God's mood meter towards us. Found yourself doing that? You know? A good thing happens to me? Oh, God is pleased with me, right? You know, a not so good thing happens to me? Well, maybe God's trying to tell me something here, you know? A bad thing happens to me, well, obviously God just is not happy with me, you know? We'll miss out on our, our prayer time, you know, or we, or, we, or we stray away from the word, you know, and, and, and things start to go, we start to see things rocky or whatever, and again we begin to think, well, God's favour is not upon me, and so I've got to go running back, you know. By the way, you should always be running to the word, absolutely, you know. But it's this attitude that, that creeps into us. Look, I've shared this before with you. But there was, a, there was um, a lady that came to me. This is an extreme example, right? And, and she was thinking that God was not only unhappy with her, but she was thinking that God had handed her over to Satan. That's what she was thinking, you know. And she came and she sat down in front of me and she stared. I, I love this lady, but she stared intently in my eyes you might remember this story. And she said to me, in the name of Jesus Christ, are you the real Christopher Ramon Fisher? It was a bit of, bit of a little bit spooky, actually, you know, you know. See, this person had become so convinced that God was not accepting her at that point, that her life was in real danger because God was not accepting her. She was in real danger and therefore everything and everybody was a threat. She actually thought that I was a demon. Right. And so she thought by sitting in front of me and saying, are you in the name of Jesus Christ, invoking the name of Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ, are you the real Ramon Fisher? And if I wasn't the real Ramon Fisher, then I, the demon that I really was was going to manifest, then she was going to rebuke that demon just so she would be safe. She started living a life like this, you know. Look, and here's the thing. I was a bit naughty, um, you know, because my name is not Christopher Ramon Fisher. 
My name is Christopher Wayne Fisher. Ramon is my son's name, you know. And I looked back and I said, uh, I said uh, Miffy, no, that's not my name. You know, and you should have seen her face. It was cruel and I should never have done it. I didn't do it intentionally. I realised afterwards what I had done, you know. Her eyes were wide open. They jumped out of her. No, my name isn't Christopher Ramon Fisher. My name's Christopher Wayne Fisher, you know. Look, um, the thing is, this person had never been able to simply accept what Jesus had done for her at the cross. Struggled with it all of her life. What Jesus had done in dying for her sins, you know. She'd never been able to accept that when Jesus died for her sins, that the work was finished, you know. And no good work that this person could accomplish would ever be able to hear this. No good work that this person could accomplish, that any of us could accomplish, is ever going to be able to ever influence the way that God looks at you. Or the way that God looks at me. Jesus didn't cry out from the cross that the work has just begun, did he? He didn't cry that at all. No, he cried out, it is finished. Paid in full. The work is completed, was the cry of Jesus from the cross. You read Romans 8, chapter, th- uh, chapter 8, verse 34. You read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20. You read Hebrews chapter 1, 13. You read Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. They all say that Christ died for our sins. That he rose from the dead. That he ascended into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Why? Because the work was completed. From a biblical perspective, when somebody sits down, you don't sit down until when? Until you're finished. That's why the Bible says he is seated at the right hand of the Father. The work is completed. You see, if the work was not finished, Christian... But none of us can have rest in our souls. None of us, you know. We would all be fearful wrecks like that poor soul that came to me. You know, all of us would be. No, our salvation is absolute. It is finished. And a Colossians chapter 2, verse 20 says, We are complete in him. I mean, there's nothing that is to be added to it. Let me tell you something. If you have accepted God's forgiveness through the finished work of the cross, then you are accepted by God. That's it, right? And no matter how good or how bad your day goes, God loves you. He's not mad at you. And he will never forsake you. As far as God is concerned, all is well between him and his children. You can rest in that, can't you? Can't you rest in that? It says, therefore, in verse 1, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest, what? Lest any of you should seem... I can't see that. Let us fear, let, let, let any of you seem that have come short of it, have come short of it. Thank you. <laughs> oh. Here we are. So they, 
Israel. It's all right, Jim. I've got a big one here. I'm just, I haven't been, I've been naughty. I've been, not been using it. I'll start using it. Yeah. So they, Israel, heard the good news of God's promise. That's what he's saying there. Promise rest just as we have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? But it did not profit them. This is what he's saying. Because they did not combine it with faith. Didn't profit them because they didn't combine it with faith. Now, do not treat, and we, we, we have a habit of doing this sometimes, do not treat the ancient Hebrew people as a bunch of spiritually ignorant nomads wandering through a desert. No, 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 no. Again, they witnessed the incredible delivering power of God firsthand. They were believers all right. Oh, yes, they believed in their God. They believed in their God. They saw, they experienced God. But after two years of being provided for by the hand of God, when it came to facing the giants, they simply didn't trust him. Do you hear that statement? Oh, yes, they believed in God. Yes, they truly did. They saw the power of God at work in their lives all the times. But when it come to the face-to-face having to stand in front of giants, they didn't trust him. Because we all stand in front of giants at times, don't we? You know, That's when our faith becomes real right there, right? Kent Hughes, in his commentary, says, We must keep this subtle distinction between belief and trust clear. If we do not understand what kind of faith is necessary, if, if, we don't, we, if we do not, we do not understand what kind of faith is necessary to have rest. So what is being said is very simple. It's very, very simple. Faith that pleases God. The faith that verse 3 speaks of, for we which believe do enter into rest, that faith is belief you might say, plus trust, or let me put it better, you might say that faith is belief that does trust, right? Belief is the mental conclusion that something is a fact. Now, don't shoot me for heresy when I say this, because it's not. Believing the fact that Jesus is the sinless Son of God, who is Saviour, Believing that fact cannot bring rest to your souls. It's believing that fact and trusting it. And trusting your life, your eternal soul to it. That's what brings rest. Again, I've told you the story. Oh, I'll save that story for later. Principle is simple. Principle is very simple. The more trust, the more rest. Belief that trusts. Belief and trust. You know that God said, and you, you hear me quote these verses to you almost every single week, Christian. Because I do almost every single week. You know that God said he will provide all your needs, don't you? According to his riches and glory, Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. You know that all things work together for good, don't you, Christian? Romans chapter 8. You know that. You know that he is with you and that he will be with you until the end of the age, Matthew 28. You know that, don't you? He's with you. He will always be with you. He will provide for your needs. He will never, ever forsake you. Hebrews chapter 13 tells us that. You know it. You believe it. 
So trust it. Trust it and experience the rest that it brings to your soul. It doesn't matter how big the giants are. My dad is bigger. My heavenly father is the biggest. That's what it comes down to. Nobody beats my dad. Do you remember being like that as a child? I I know not everybody got that. I understand that, you know. But for those of you who knew the absolute security in knowing that nobody can beat your dad. Nobody, you know. that's, That's the principle here. That's my dad. Nobody, nobody brings rest to my soul. Today, you can have an everlasting satisfaction that God accepts you completely. Read these verses with me. Um, From verse 2, I want to go down to verse 8. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them not being mixed with faith in in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest as he has said. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Quoting from Psalm 95. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in that way. And God rested on the seventh day from all of his works and again this place they shall and again um, in this place they shall not enter my rest since therefore it remains that some must enter in some must enter in and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience again he de- he designates a certain day saying in david today after such a long time as it has been said today psalm 95 if you will hear his voice and do not harden your hearts for if joshua had given them rest then he would not afterwards have spoken of another day So he's using some basic logic there. Here's what the writer is doing. The writer is anticipating an argument from his reader there in Hebrews. They would agree that those that were following Moses did not enter into the promised land. They would agree. And it was because of unbelief that this took place. Again, they would agree, but they would say, hang on, Joshua did lead the Hebrew people into Canaan. So the writer then quotes, please stay with this, the writer then quotes David, Psalm 95, who wrote 400 years after they went into the land, after Joshua spoke those words, saying that yet there is a future rest spoken of. The idea is that the Hebrew people going into the promised land is only a picture. It's only a type of God's rest for you and I. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 talks about that, how they were an example or a picture for you and I. But the fullness is found of that picture, I should say, yeah, the fullness of that picture is found through belief and trust in Jesus Christ. That's a picture of what Jesus would accomplish for you and I. 
And so verse 9 says, I'll try and bring this to an end. Verse 9 says, um, There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. And he goes on to talk about how the word of God is a sharp two-edged sword. As As we've already seen, when God finished the creation... He rested from his work of creation, didn't he? You know? But when Jesus cried out, it is finished. He forever rested from the atoning work of God, the atoning work of salvation for mankind. It is forever finished. It's completed. And you and I have to accept that. We know it in our heads. We need to accept it within our hearts, right? We have to finish with all of our own righteousness to try and win favor before God. We have to enter into the rest. We have to stop measuring God's acceptance of us by our circumstances as if they were some sort of God mood meter. We've all had those, haven't we? We've got to stop that. Yes, we long to serve him. We long to be about our heavenly father's business. Yes, I want to be busy about the kingdom work. I really do. But belief and trust. When he says labor to enter in, that's what he's talking about. Believing and trusting and being busy about the things of God, but resting in our souls. Resting in our souls that he accepts me. There may be all sorts of turmoil going on around your life right now. All sorts of turmoil. But do not measure God's mood by that turmoil. Don't do that, you know. Don't measure God's acceptance of you by that turmoil. Oh, hang on a minute. I've got to stop and step aside for a minute. If you're living in open disobedience to God today, and you don't care what God says in his word, you're just going to do it your way, well, yeah, he's not happy. But if you're a child of God who knows and loves the Lord but is struggling day to day just to get it right, you know, he's happy. He's pleased with you. He loves you. You're accepted. This is how you measure him. This is how you measure his acceptance. By the length, the depth, the breadth, the height of his love commitment to you, right? Isn't that what the Bible says? You know? How deep, how wide, how high is the love of God towards his people? It's immeasurable, isn't it? You know, as far as the east is from the west, has God separated us from our transgressions? You know, He died for our transgressions. He's done it all for us. Have your heart grounded in those truths, rooted in that truth, and you will have, you will have rest. The struggle will be over. You know, so right now, as the, the, the writer is asking us, you know, you know let this word, because as I said, he's going to go on and talk about the word of God being a t- sharp and a two-edged sword, able to, to divide asunder between the soul and the spirit, able to do that. Yeah. That's why he goes on next. You read those verses. You know? 
Allow that truth to, to pierce your heart, you know, that God loves you, you know, that God is just passionately in love with you. I wish I could find greater adjectives to, des- to describe his heart towards us, you know. But, you know, the writer, the writer there goes back to Genesis and he talks about the rest that God has. You know what that rest was like? Can you imagine what that rest was like? I'll tell you this, let me try and describe it to you. This is what that rest was like. He finished his labours. He finished his work. He looked at creation. And what did God do? He said, it is very good. And he ceased to work. The heart of the eternal God was absolutely at rest and at peace. And we are to have, it says, have his rest. That rest. When God looked upon his perfect, completed creation, that's what Jesus came back to bring to reality within our hearts, within our lives. That relationship where God, there is nothing that separates us between us, ourselves and our God. It's his rest. Now, I can't quantify that. I can't, I can't give you, well, this is how you measure the rest of God that, it, that we're talking about here. Because you've got to have this rest. Best way I can do at it, do at it. He's probably learned to talk proper. But the best way I can do it, well, have you ever been into the Queen's Palace? Anybody? Ever got up and got to see the Queen of England and see how her day goes? Do you want to see what her rest is like? Well, I'm pretty sure that she doesn't get dragged out of bed by an alarm. You know that? I'm pretty sure that she doesn't have to worry about what clothes she's going to put on. I'm pretty sure about that, you know. I'm pretty sure all the clothes are ready for her. They're nice and cuddly, soft and ready for her. You know, she probably even gets help to put them on, you know. I'm pretty sure she doesn't have to worry about what she's going to have for breakfast. I know she never worries about if there's any milk in the fridge. I know that, you know. She doesn't have to worry about what's happening in her life really at all because it's all organised for her. That's the Queen of England's rest. Right? We're not, would you like to have that rest? Maybe for a few days, right? Maybe for a few days, you know. But that's not the rest that God wants you to have. He wants you to have his rest. For the eternal God looks upon his creation and says, that is very, very good. And he looks upon you, his child, he says, child, you are very very good. It's not because of who you are, but it's because of the one that you have believed in for forgiveness and the one that you are trusting in to lead you and guide you through this life. It's because of Jesus, his son, because of the righteousness that you are clothed in, because of the blood that washes you each and every single day. Very good. See, that brings rest, doesn't it? Doesn't it bring rest? And the turmoil can be gone. And the fear can be gone. Because my God loves me. My God loves me. Have we got time to gather around the communion table to reflect upon this rest that he has brought our souls? Let me tell you a story. I think you might have heard this story before. Um, There was a girl and her father were going to a celebration 
much like a lot of people went to a celebration last night, you know, and the whole community gathered together and celebrated some event. This is what's happening in this little village. And so she with her father sets off at the beginning of the day, hand in hand, they're walking across the field towards this celebration. And as they're walking, they're talking about the wonderful time they're going to have, like a good dad would do, right? You know, Dad's talking about the, the friends that she's going to meet there. Dad's talking about the food that they're going to have. Dad's talking about all the activities that are planned, you know. And it's just wonderful, you know. But then Dad knows, and the little girl knows also, before they get to this place of celebration, there's, there's this river they've got to cross, you know. And the river is always raging at this time of year. And there's only one way across the river, and that is this rickety old bridge, right? Every year they've got to walk across it, you know. And every year this bridge is getting older. Every year this bridge is losing parts of itself, you know. And the little girl, as they come to the bridge, Dad bends down, he picks her up, and he grabs her, and she just wraps her arms around his neck, you know, and she starts to... You know, and she starts to whimper and she, before, before they even get to the bridge, the little girl's crying, Dad, I don't want to go, I don't want to go, I don't want to go. Oh, but your friends and all the celebration, Dad, I don't want to go, let's just go home. I don't, no, I don't. No. And, you know, and Dad says, come on, we can do it, we can do it. And she steps onto the bridge and, and slowly makes their way across. And all the way, the little girl's crying and screaming and yelling. And she's still crying and screaming and yelling when they get to the other side of the bridge, you know. And Dad says, we're okay now, we've made it. And the little girl looks back, oh, oh we've made it it you know and all the fear is gone all the fear is gone because all now she is filled with because it's just a few hundred meters away is the celebration is all of her friends she jumps down she leaves her dad behind she goes running in and she has the best time that she's ever had you know it's getting dark celebrations are drawing to an end and dad comes to his little girl and says okay we've got to go home oh, i don't want to go home dad but everybody else is leading oh, i don't want to go home dad because she knows the only way to get home is across that bridge, right? Dad says, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. When we got here, we'll get home. He bends down, he picks her up, and this time he's just nursing her in her arm, in his arms like this as they're walking to the bridge. And even before they even get close to the bridge, she's had such a great day. She's so exhausted. She's just gone to sleep, right? She's sound asleep, her eyes open up, and all of a sudden, all she is feeling is the bright warmth of the sunshine coming straight through her bedroom window. It's the next morning. It's the next morning. She'd fallen asleep, and Dad carried her across the bridge and laid her into her bed, and she woke up to the brightness of the new day. Look, I don't know if that's a true story. I don't know if it is at all, but you know what? What took the fear away from that little girl? It's the arms that she was lying in, wasn't it? You know, because she was able to rest and go to sleep in those arms. Same for you and I. Exactly the same for you and I. You know, there is a wonderful. Uh, look, I'm trying to get. I'm trying to find it. It's um. There was a a a, a um an artist, a sculptor, a, a, da a Danish sculptor. He, his name is Thors Walden. And he made this uh, statue. And it's, uh, as you look at the statue, if you stand in front of it, it's a, it's a Jesus. It's a life-size granite statue of Jesus. But you look at it, he's carved it in such a way that Jesus' head is slightly forward 
and, the, and, and his hair is across his face. And you look at it, and, and all you can see is, is the hair. You can't see his face. You can't see the face of Jesus. But there's a sign next to the statue. It says, if you want to see the face of Jesus, you've got to sit at his feet. If you do that, and you get down on your knees at the feet of Jesus, right, and you look up, and sure enough, under the hair, there is this beautiful, beautiful scene. It's the face of Christ. It's an accepting face. It's a warm, loving face looking down at his child. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? Where do we sit today? Where do we sit? Because, you know, that's where rest is found. Remember I said Jesus has ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father? He's sitting. He's resting. Where are you sitting? Where are you resting today? You still trying to work this thing out yourself? You're still struggling with the, the circumstances of your life? Are you still unsure about the reality that God really cares and loves you? Are you? Well, if you are this morning, just sit, will you? Please. I, I would use Paul's language. I, I beseech you. you know, and you've you heard me say this before. That word beseech you, is a, it's a strong, strong word that Paul uses repeatedly. It's like Paul leaning into you and saying, this is so really, really important. And it is. It's quiet. It's not a, I beseech, I beg you. Not at all. It's, it's a word of, this is so necessary. And I think it is. If we would stop struggling and we would sit like Jesus is sitting because the work is finished. Your God loves you. And there's nowhere greater displayed than when he upon the cross at Calvary cried out, it is finished, right? His blood had been shed. His body had been torn to peace and brutalized. As Peter, would, Peter quoting Isaiah said, by his stripes we are healed. You know, And essentially it's talking about that spiritual healing of your soul, the forgiveness and the acceptance of God. You are healed, people. And you can sit now. You can rest. Because God is your saviour and he loves you beyond any, any comprehension that you can have. Bless Father in heaven. As your children, Lord. We can lift our heads right now. The Calvary's mountain. And we can see our saviour lifted up for us. The blood has been shed. The body has been bruised. The bread of life has been given for us that we might partake of it, Lord. And so, Father, we take this bread to remind us of the reality of Christ and the wonder of his forgiveness, the glory of your acceptance, the hope that it brings us. Lord, I pray you would search our hearts, each of us, Lord. And if there be any wicked way within us, Lord, anything that separates us from you, Lord in heaven, I, I pray you'd forgive me. You'd forgive us, Lord God. Thank you for that forgiveness. 
and thank you for the body that was bruised, the bread of life that brings eternal life to our souls. Let's take the bread together. Thank you for the blood, Lord God, that washes us clean. Thank you that even today, as I miss the mark, as we make mistakes, that you continue to cleanse us, Lord. Thank you for your forgiveness, Lord God. Let's take the cup together. Lord, bring rest to our souls. Help us to not only believe, but to trust. And wherever it is you're leading us this day, may we walk with absolute confidence, knowing that we are in our Father's hands. Thank you, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship you.